It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Us, hombre. Where are you going, my man? Cried the cripple flinging away his crutches and running after him with the best legs that ever traced a geometrical step upon the pavements of Paris. In the meantime the legless man, erect upon his feet, crowned Gringoire with his heavy iron bowl, and the blind man glared in his face with flaming eyes. "'Where am I?' said the terrified poet. "'In the Court of Miracles,' replied a fourth spectre, who had accosted them. "'Upon my soul,' resumed Gringoire, "'I certainly do behold the blind who see, and the lame who walk, but where is the Saviour?' They replied by a burst of sinister laughter. The poor poet cast his eyes about him. It was, in truth, that redoubtable Cour de Miracles, whither an honest man had never penetrated at such an hour. The magic circle, where the officers of the Châtelet and the sergeants of the provost-ship who ventured thither disappeared in morsels. A city of thieves, a hideous wart on the face of Paris, a sewer from which escaped every morning and whither returned every night to crouch that stream of vices, of mendicancy and vagabondage which always overflows in the streets of capitals. A monstrous hive to which returned at nightfall, with their booty, all the drones of the social order. A lying hospital, where the bohemian, the disfrocked monk, the ruined scholar, the ne'er-do-wells of all nations, Spaniards, Italians, Germans, of all religions, Jews, Christians, Mohammedans, idolaters, covered with painted sores, beggars by day, were transformed by night into brigands. An immense dressing-room, in a word, where, at that epoch, the actors of that eternal comedy, which theft, prostitution, and murder play upon the pavements of Paris, dressed and undressed. It was a vast place, irregular and badly paved, like all the squares of Paris at that date. Fires, around which swarmed strange groups, blazed here and there. Everyone was going, coming, and shouting. Shrill laughter was to be heard, the wailing of children, the voices of women. The hands and heads of this throng, black against the luminous background, outlined against it a thousand eccentric gestures. At times, upon the ground, where trembled the light of the fires, mingled with large, indefinite shadows, one could behold a dog passing, which resembled a man, a man who resembled a dog. 
The limits of races and species seemed effaced in this city as in a pandemonium. Men, women, beasts, age, sex, health, maladies, all seemed to be in common among these people. All went together. They mingled, confounded, superposed. Each one there participated in all. The poor and flickering flames of the fire permitted Gringoire to distinguish, amid his trouble, all around the immense place, a hideous frame of ancient houses, whose worm-eaten, shriveled, stunted facades, each pierced with one or two lighted attic windows, seemed to him, in the darkness, like enormous heads of old women, ranged in a circle, monstrous and crabbed, winking as they looked on the witch's Sabbath. It was like a new world unknown, unheard of, misshapen, creeping, swarming, fantastic. Gringoire, more and more terrified, clutched by the three beggars as by three pairs of tongs, dazed by a throng of other faces which frothed and yelped around him, unhappy Gringoire endeavoured to summon his presence of mind in order to recall whether it was a Saturday. But his efforts were in vain. The thread of his memory and of his thought was broken, and, doubting everything, wavering between what he saw and what he felt, he put to himself this unanswerable question. If I exist, does this exist? If this exists, do I exist? At that moment a distinct cry arose in the buzzing throng which surrounded him. "'Let's take him to the king! Let's take him to the king!' "'Holy virgin!' murmured Gringoire. "'The king here must be a ram!' "'To the king! To the king!' repeated all the voices. They dragged him off. Each vied with the other in laying his claws upon him. But the three beggars did not loose their hold, and tore him from the rest, howling, "'He belongs to us!' The poet's already sickly doublet yielded its last sigh in this struggle. While traversing the horrible place his vertigo vanished. After taking a few steps, the sentiment of reality returned to him. He began to become accustomed to the atmosphere of the place. At the first moment there had arisen from his poet's head, or simply and prosaically from his empty stomach, a mist, a vapor, so to speak, which, spreading between objects and himself, permitted him to catch a glimpse of them only in the incoherent fog of nightmare, in those shadows of dreams which distort every outline agglomerating objects into unwieldy groups, dilating things into chimeras, and men into phantoms. Little by little this hallucination was succeeded by a less bewildered and exaggerating view. Reality made its way to the light around him, struck his eyes, struck his feet, and demolished, bit by bit, all that frightful poetry with which he had at first believed himself to be surrounded. He was forced to perceive that he was not walking in the sticks, but in mud, that he was elbowed not by demons, but by thieves, that it was not his soul which was in question, but his life, since he lacked that precious conciliator which places itself so effectually between the bandit and the honest man, a purse. In short, on examining the orgy more closely, and with more coolness, he fell from the witch's Sabbath to the dram-shop. The Cour de Miracles was, in fact, merely a dram-shop, but a brigand's dram-shop, reddened quite as much with blood as with wine. The spectacle which presented itself to his eyes, 
when his ragged escort finally deposited him at the end of his trip, was not fitted to bear him back to poetry, even to the poetry of hell. It was more than ever the prosaic and brutal reality of the tavern. Were we not in the fifteenth century, we would say that Gringoire had descended from Michelangelo to Callot. Around a great fire, which burned on a large, circular flagstone, the flames of which had heated red-hot the legs of a tripod, which was empty for the moment, some worm-eaten tables were placed here and there, haphazard, no lackey of a geometrical turn having deigned to adjust their parallelism, or to see to it that they did not make too unusual angles. Upon these tables gleamed several dripping pots of wine and beer, and around these pots were grouped many bacchic visages, purple with the fire and the wine. There was a man with a huge belly and a jovial face, noisily kissing a woman of the town, thick-set and brawny. There was a sort of sham soldier, a nequa, as the slang expression runs, who was whistling as he undid the bandages from his fictitious wound, and removing the numbness from his sound and vigorous knee, which had been swathed since morning in a thousand ligatures. On the other hand, there was a wretched fellow, preparing with celandine and beef's blood his leg of God for the next day. Two tables further on, a palmer, with his pilgrim's costume complete, was practicing the lament of the Holy Queen, not forgetting the drone and the nasal drawl. Further on, a young scamp was taking a lesson in epilepsy from an old pretender, who was instructing him in the art of foaming at the mouth, by chewing a morsel of soap. Beside him, a man with the dropsy was getting rid of his swelling, and making four or five female thieves, who were disputing at the same table, over a child who had been stolen that evening, hold their noses. All circumstances which, two centuries later, seemed so ridiculous to the court, as Sauval says, that they served as a pastime to the king, and as an introduction to the royal ballet of night, divided into four parts, and danced on the theatre of the Petit Bourbon. Never, adds an eye-witness of 1653, have the sudden metamorphoses of the Court of Miracles been more happily presented. Ben 